Welcome to Staples. Hi, Staples guy. I need to get my kids ready for back to school. Well, Staples has everything they need at low prices, like comp books for just 50 cents, so they'll be 110% ready. Wait, that's 10% more ready than totally ready. Yep. That extra 10% evens it all out. Sorry? Well, I'm usually 10 minutes late getting them to school, so. Uh, that doesn't even it out. Yeah, sure it does. Make low prices happen. Make 110% ready happen. Staples, make more happen. Right now, Staples 16 gigabyte flash drives are just $5.99. Offer valid while supplies last. Limit five per customer ends 8 15 15. Talk Radio. Welcome to the Good Radio Network, radio that does a world of good. This isn't your average talk radio show. We're blasting away the old tried and not so true mold. Instead, TGRN turns talk into action, and action leads to doing positive things for people, our environment, and even the animals. Well, I'm only one person. What can I do? A lot. Join host Frankie Picasso while she turns talk into doing and gets results. This is the Good Radio Network. Yes, you can do it if you try, even if you're just a regular guy. Now, here's your host, Frankie Picasso. Well, good day to you wherever you are in the world. I am really looking forward to the show today and looking forward to hearing from you. And if you'd like to join us on the show, you can call in at 845-241-9943. Again, 845-241-9943. And you can do that using Skype. There's a direct link with Skype. Or you can call us on your phone. Today's good minute. Well, you know, this is really cool. Normally, they say paper and water can create a soggy mess, but add origami to the mix and you get clean water flowing through the hearts of two sisters and 70 newly drilled wells in Africa, India, Mexico, Peru, and the U.S. And it started off with five-year-old Catherine Adams, who began folding origami with her father after they dropped off her older sister, Isabel, at school. When Catherine learned that millions of people go thirsty every day, that many girls can't even go to school because they spend all day hauling water. She decided to put her paper folding skills to good use. And with the help of her dad, she was going to build a well in Ethiopia by hosting an origami sale at the local Starbucks in Dallas, Texas, where they lived. I can't even spit that out. So her mom and her eight-year-old sister, Isabel, began to fold along with other volunteers who asked to join in the effort. And the girls had set a goal of $500. They got busy folding these ornaments and in the autumn of 2011 the ornaments sold out their very first day at Starbucks and eight weeks later the girls had raised $10,000 enough to cover the cost of a new well and that well benefited a whole entire village four years later now 9 and 11 they're both co-presidents of paper for water an organization whose whose hundreds of paper folding volunteers now have helped raise over $650,000. The girls have tapped, they've been tapped as keynote speakers and have even given what amounts to a Lifetime Achievement Award from nonprofit Living Water International. So way to go, girls. You're never too young to be a positive influence in this world, something that my guest today also knows a thing or two about being a positive influence. And she is Christina Fast, and she's the founder of SPECT, Sterile Processing Education Charitable Trust that she established to support education related to effective sterile processing and infection control practices in hospitals and clinics in developing countries such as Guinea, Sierra Leone, Congo, and Madagascar. Christina has been employed since 2006 as a medical device reprocessing tech, MDRT, who worked in this role around Canada and Australia until 2009 brought her back to Canada and she was hired to teach at a small healthcare college called Alberta Business Educational Services, where she taught the MDRT course to students who had all immigrated to Canada. Well, life changed for Christina in 2011 when she volunteered aboard the African Mercy, part of the Mercy Ships Canada fleet in the role of OR sterilizer, and she found herself in Sierra Leone. It was during this experience that Christina found her calling. She said she would be a voice for this unseen and so crucially important area of the hospitals. Let's hear from her firsthand what she experienced, and it had to be something so significant that it really shaped her future, the one that which she created, SPECT. So welcome, Christina, to the Good Radio Network. It's great to have you here. Thanks so much, Frankie. I'm excited to be on the show. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> uh, can you tell us a bit about your background growing up? Like, are you an only child? Do you have siblings? 
I I do. I have a younger brother. Um, he is about a year younger than me, actually. So we're fairly close in age. Um, we don't live in the same city at the moment. My parents and I moved to Calgary, Alberta, where and my brother uh, and his girlfriend still live in Kamloops, BC, where where I grew up. Um, oh. So he is. Yeah, it's just the two of us, and we um, we we grew up. And actually, we lived in, in Abbotsford. That's where I was born until I was seven. And then we moved to Kamloops, where um, my dad had had been hired on at a ginseng farm. Um, oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. So we we did – I lived in B.C. I've lived in B.C. for most of my life. Um, in between uh, living in Abbotsford and in Kamloops, my um, – uh, and this won't come as a surprise. <laughs> um, my parents love to travel, um, and have instilled that installed that in me. And so they, uh, when I was younger, they worked for a mission missionary organization, and which brought us to Pakistan for three years. Um, oh wow! When I was quite young, or sorry, two years actually, we lived there. Um, and I was I was only two two years old, but I still have a few memories, <laughs> oddly enough. Um, so we lived there, and then in high school, my family moved to New Zealand for a year. So we, uh, I, I went to um, high school for one year. My mom decided that, um, or she found a job working as a OR nurse in a hospital uh, in a small town in New Zealand. So we picked up and went there. Um, and then wow. I, I kind of just continued. Um, the gypsy lifestyle. I just found an interest. <laughs> yeah, I found, well... <laughs> They, uh, other than living in in those countries, they've definitely focused on exposing us to other countries, other cultures, um, and they volunteered a lot and still do as well. So that was a, that's a big part of their lifestyle, um, which was passed down to my brother and I. That's fantastic. I just love yeah. hearing that. So uh, your mom's an OR nurse. She not, was not a big yes. surprise that, that you you had a, a you know developed a, yeah. a a passion let's say for for uh, cleanliness for sterilization. How did you become um, special devices? Like how did you get into that? <laughs> um, sorry, just to clarify, my mom was actually uh, an emergency and an ICU nurse. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> but she, it, yeah. So oddly enough, um, my interest in cleaning and uh, um, the, and in healthcare, it didn't come from my mom. It came from my dad, who doesn't work in healthcare at all. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but growing up, he was the one teaching us to clean the dishes and uh, clean the extra spots, or sending it back if it wasn't, if it, if if it still had food on it. Um, teaching me how to dust the house and vacuum and to get every corner and to move the furniture and vacuum under the furniture. And I think that stemmed from his mom. So he kind of he passed on that those skills or that um, yeah those skills to me and then uh, a neighbor had recommended that I look into taking the medical device reprocessing course um, because she thought it might be something I would be interested in just because I could apply that attention to detail and uh, do something other than what I was looking at was cleaning hotel rooms. <laughs> oh really? Oh yeah. my goodness! What a waste! <laughs> <laughs> I know. I thought, oh, I, I just love cleaning. Where, what could I apply my skills to? Like <laughs> She's like clean baseboards. Yeah. <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Oh my gosh, yeah. isn't that incredible? Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So, so you've got this love of travel, and you like to clean. Mm-hmm. How did you come to meet Tim or get involved with African Mercy or volunteer for the African Mercy? Um, I had traveled quite a bit after taking the uh, MDRT course, and I ended up living in Australia for a little while and working as uh, a reprocessor in a hospital in Australia. And that was an amazing experience. Um, and the job has actually opened up a lot of doors in that sense, is that you can, it, you're internationally certified, so you can work in any country in the world. Um, and what was it? What was, was another attraction for me? And I'm sorry to interrupt there. Uh, I'm just oh, no, curious okay. about their processes. Um, compared to Canada, is it similar? Are you know standards similar in Australia? Yes. 
Oh, yeah. In the standards the are probably equally as high as Canada, and we have some of okay. the highest standards in the world, um, as does Australia. Well, I can only speak from experience, but from sure. from, um, from my experience, there, their standards are equally as high. And, and that's had a what lot you of, have expected. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it wasn't a huge transition for me to work in Canada and Australia. The hospitals were very similar. The I had worked with the equipment before, um, so I still had an orientation, but it wasn't wasn't hard for me I have to, to pick say, up. You, you look really quickly. young. <laughs> are you? How young are you? <laughs> I'm 28 years young. <laughs> You're 28 years young, and you've done all of this. Wow, good yeah. for you. Yeah. Thank you. So you I'm just, excited that I came across it at the age that I did, so I still have a lifetime I have ahead of me to invest. Oh, my gosh, yeah. you got years and years. Don't <laughs> <Yeah>. worry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you, 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 volunteer, you decided to volunteer on the, uh, for Mercy Ships, and yeah, so, you were going to Sierra Leone, I think. Is that correct? Right. Yes. Yeah. So I, I came home from Australia, um, and I was started working in the hospital again in Calgary, and I... Um, but I had the travel bug, and this time I, I didn't feel right about going, just saving money and going traveling again. I really wanted to utilize my skills um, and to be able to see a country I'd never seen before and be a part of something uh, bigger than myself. So I just Googled um, OR sterilizer uh, volunteer positions, and the first thing that came up was Mercy Ships. And um, to my surprise, they were looking for an OR sterilizer for 10 months for their Sierra Leone field service in 2011. So I talked to my parents about it, and they were very encouraging, and they said, go, we'll help you fundraise, we'll help you do whatever you need to do to get over there. Um, So I applied and was accepted almost, well, the next week. They accepted me for a 10-month position. Um, And unfortunately, I only ended up going for three months of that time because during the time that I had applied and the time that I went over, I I started at a new job. So, and that job only allowed me, well, thankfully allowed me to take three months out of, out of um, working to go over. So that was, um, that's where I, I initially got connected with Tim. Okay. I, caller, I see you on, on the board there, but I just want to just have a, another few minutes to chat with Christina, and then I'll bring you on, okay? <laughs> Thanks for your patience and hanging in there. So let, let's talk about um, Mercy Ships for a moment, because you do have to pay your own way to volunteer, just so folks know if they were interested in doing something like that. How much did you yeah. have to pay? I fundraised $10,000 for three Wow. Months. So that covered my flight, um, my room and board on the ship uh-huh. and um, helped with any uh, extra expenses. So that malaria cool? medication, um, vaccinations, things like that, that uh, were applied specifically to the volunteer position. But is that is that um, typical? Is $10,000 to go and volunteer? Um, it, for everyone, it's different. I would say it's a, it, it would be around there. Uh, it depends if you... Um, it depends how many expenses you have at home and which country you're going to in terms of how much oh, the flight see. costs. Because you had to pay for your me, rent. It's about, like yeah, for me it's about uh, 35, 32, 3500 for a flight uh-huh. um, over there. So that takes up quite That's a bit. That's a big of, Yeah. Wow. Um, and then room and board, I think at the time it was about $700 a month, uh, which really isn't bad. $700 a month for a yeah. bed and three meals a day, which is actually sure. really great. Yeah. Um, no, it didn't. I, I actually saved money, my own money, to cover my expenses at home. So the money that was fundraised went went directly to um, related expenses with volunteering with, with wow. the ship. How so did you raise for some money? people? Um, bake sales. <laughs> I did a few <laughs> bake sales at work. Did you clean any houses? And I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just said, did you clean any houses? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I cleaned yeah. houses. I um, I I had garage sales three weekends in a row, and my neighbors all came over and donated stuff that they had in their house that they didn't need anymore. And n- neighbors from communities away came over and donated oh, stuff, and everything was by donation. So I think one person came and gave um gave me 53 cents for a one of those uh those 
pedal bikes, <laughs> those <laughs> exercise bikes, and it was all in chains, small chains. But then someone else donated, you would donate a lot more for something that's smaller just because they knew that they were donating to a great cause. So um, garage sales or yard sales, baking sales, I sold tickets to comedy shows at Yak Yaks and Coco Brooks pizzas, frozen pizzas. They give you 30% of the proceeds. Um, so <laughs> wow, a lot of very... time went into into fundraising and um, how long did it take yeah. you to raise ten thousand dollars i think it took me about three months wow that's incredible good for you yeah. i had a that lot of family incredible. that just donated because they wanted to support me so i, I was very thankful and uh, fortunate to have family that are so supportive that have and continue to support me throughout the way as well so you, I mean, you're a seasoned traveler at, by this time. You've been in yeah, a bazillion countries. So. Were there years. any shocks? <laughs> like you, you got on board. Were there, was, did anything shock you at all? I mean, uh, maybe. On the ship? Yeah, like just life on the ship. Were there any, any surprises for you? I think I was pretty well prepared from reading other people's blogs. And uh, Mercy Ships prepares you quite well with giving you questions Q&As to review, um, answering any questions you have beforehand, making the process, whole process very clear. Um, I think I, I was a bit surprised because I didn't know what the department would look like. So, um, And I hadn't been in a, a in a setting like that before on a hospital ship <laughs> in West Africa. It's an impressive so amphitheater. <laughs> yeah. It, it, oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's amazing what they're doing on board um, with with what they have as well. So I, I, I wasn't as shocked when I saw the department. I just adjusted what I was used to. Um, uh-huh. And uh, the one the one neat thing, part of the story actually, is the first day on board I was introduced to my team leader of the, in the sterilization department, and her name is Jane McIntosh. She was actually a, she was a Pender Island resident, and now she's working with Mercy Ships Canada in Victoria. Okay. Um, so in 2011, she um, or 2010, she arrived on the ship and she volunteered for two years as a team leader, wow. and or just over two years actually. So the first day I met her and I knew right away that <laughs> she was going to be a per- someone in my life for forever. Um, right. We we immediately connected and she was telling me how a bit more about the ship because I didn't know the dynamics, um, the certifications, all of that that I was used to. Um, she was saying that the ship is really encouraging uh, all their volunteers and the ones from West Africa that were working on board or volunteering on board to uh, to receive certification in the area that they were volunteering in if they didn't have it beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, and normally when you work in a sterilization department in the hospital in Calgary, as an example, you have to have a certification. They won't hire you. They won't look at your resume. You must be certified and continue um, to maintain your certification throughout the year. So I was used to these high standards and high. you had to have these qualifications. And when I went on board, she said, no, you just have to be willing. <laughs> right, so, right. You're yeah. a volunteer. <laughs> You're not, exactly, you're not and they they need volunteers, and they're not going to turn you away if you're a helping hand, which uh, right. which makes sense. Um, and so they the OR sterilizers in the department. There were two volunteering from Sierra Leone, and one from Dominican Republic, uh, one from Italy, Jane from Canada, and myself. And she told me that they the ship was encouraging them to take uh, the the certification this course. Um, it was a course that they weren't very familiar with, and they had there was a woman from the states who was donating her time to kind of Skype in or teleconference in and help them go through the manual to learn the manual so that they could write this exam to become certified. Um, but uh, unfortunately, the woman that was volunteering her time became very sick and wasn't able to teach classes uh, through teleconference anymore. So they had made it kind of a quarter way through this manual. And she said, can we? Can I show you the manual because you're certified and you might know. And um, it just happened to be the same manual and the same certification that they were studying for it that I had just become certified to teach um, literally Wonderful. a month before. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. 
Uh, so it, so that was actually the most surprising, and it was a great surprise because I realized I felt like that was my purpose. Um, the uh-huh. reason that I was there to help them to ha- hold classes with them, <clears throat> excuse me, and to teach them this course and to to help in any way possible to get them to achieve that certification. Um, so that was really great, and and we did we studied every evening that I or every other evening that I was on board. And Let's take a call. How about that? Sure. You ready? Okay. Yeah. Let's see who's with us today. Hi, area code 587. You're on air with Christina and Frankie. How are you? Hello? Area code 587? 891? <laughs> Hi. You there? I guess they're I not. can't hear anyone. No. Okay. We're going to take another one. Then. Hello? <laughs> oh, I thought we heard her. Okay. Let's see. Hi, area code two five zero. You're on air with us. How are you? Hey, it's actually Colleen Sullivan from Mercy Ships, and also <laughs> Jane McIntosh from Mercy Ships. Oh, wow. hi, welcome, ladies. <laughs> but we we're not on speaker, so <laughs> I'll start, and then I'll hand over to Jane. Um, Great. Just on behalf of everyone from Mercy Ships, we are so excited and so proud, and just in awe of Christina and the work that she's doing with Spec. Like we're we're just so grateful that she continues to work with us and that, you know, we get to have this relationship and this partnership with her because what she's doing is just so amazing and she's such an amazing woman. I Aww. agree. Like, at Mercy <laughs> Ships, you know, kudos back to you at Mercy Ships because you guys do amazing work too. Yeah, oh, I was holding yeah. it together until now. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm going to pass it over to Jane too. Oh, thank you. Hey, Christina. Hi, Dan. <laughs> I heard your story. Thanks. You heard my <laughs> Nice words, eh? I have to be very careful to get everything right. <laughs> yes, this is the Jane. The Not Jane. Jane. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Oh, well, it's oh, great to hear your voice. It's great to hear you, too, and I'm just, yeah, <laughs> continued success in everything you're doing, Christina. Just keep going forward. Everything is going to come together. Thanks. Thanks for your uh, support. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for your encouragement and support. Uh, for sure. Jane, are you still are you still working on board the ships? No, I'm actually not. I'm I'm living uh, in Sydney, BC, and working here at the Canadian office in donor relations. And okay, great. So, also with the crew a bit, so I still get to uh, keep in touch. In fact, I just emailed George and Frank, the guys from Sierra Leone that Christina referred to. They're still yeah. on board. George is in charge of the department. Frank's working there. So Christina's legacy is still growing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. Well, yeah, thank you all for calling. Yeah, not at so all. Nice. We'll let you get on to your other calls. <laughs> thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Colleen. Yep, bye-bye. Bye. All right, well, our caller called back, so let's see. Okay. Area 587, you're back with us. Hi. You're on air. I thought I was just listening in. (laughs) You you can just listen if you want to. Did you have something to say? Is that your mom? Yeah. (laughs) Hi, Olive. Hi. Um, I'm proud of Chris and the work that she's doing, and... um, I I just love hearing her story every time because obviously being a mom brings tears to my eyes. Um, but, uh, she's uh, she and 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 uh, her dad are are currently doing so much good work. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hang up because I want to hear her more of her story. <laughs> Wait before you go, I just want to I want to ask you something. Wait because you know you have have created a legacy for yourself through your daughter and the, and all the work that you've done in volunteering and traveling the world and, and giving of yourself. And I think it's important for people to hear, you know, from a parent's perspective. You know, was this intentional or, you know, or did you just drag your kids along because they had to come with you? Um, <laughs> or is this something that, you know, was, you know, um, you really thought about and was intentional to to make sure that your children continue to volunteer through their life? Oh, good question. Well, yeah, good question. Exactly. Um, I think for both Dan and myself, um, for Dan, it, it's, it's very much a way of life and a purpose, and it, and it stems from our faith as well. And, mm-hmm. and you know, um, God has given us so much, we would like to return that um, and give to others. 
and um, just having a real heart for um, making a difference in people's lives. Um, and I think we tried to model that growing up. We didn't always do a great job, or as Christina was growing up. Um, but, you know, that, that also stems from our parents and, you know, the, the history that we have in our families that, where that was a priority. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm thrilled that Chris has taken it up and not only taken it up, but she continues to motivate us to excel and to give. And um, she's created in us a passion for her vision. Um, I think most parents want to see their children um, grow and excel and, and mm-hmm. do do amazing things in this world. And um, we feel uh, just very blessed to be part of her work. That's nice. You know, I think it's important. My daughter volunteers a lot. And, you know, I remember my kids saying, because I used to volunteer a lot, and, and they would say, you know, I really like what you do, and we're going to do that when we grow up. And, and they did. And so I, I do think that children learn by example. And it's mm-hmm. a good example that you guys, that you and Dan set for for Christina and, and, your, and her uh, brother. <laughs> so good on you. <laughs> and thank you for doing all that you do to help, too. Because you are, you are, aren't you the executive of SPECT or the, um, you have a role? What's your role? Yeah, I'm the chair of SPECT. You're the chair, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. She actually does a lot. She does a lot yeah. as well. Basically, the organization runs <laughs> because of her and all everything go. she does. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. I'll I take think, you off I the think, line. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Bye. Continue to listen. Bye. <laughs> that's that's so cute. Well, I'm surprised they did. <laughs> so I didn't have to ask for them to call in. <laughs> there you go. Of course they're going to support oh, you. Nice. I, I might have hung yeah. up on your mom's story. You can call back and listen if you need to. Oh, okay. I'll talk to her later. <laughs> so we we got Gary oh. Leone and those three gentlemen that you um, did certify, the two the two mm-hmm. from Sierra Leone and, and the one from the Dominican, um, you asked them to take you off ship to view their hospital. And tell us what you saw. So I... During our evening classes, uh, the ship had actually invited one or two nurses from the nearby Women's and Children's Hospital on board uh, oh, okay. to study the materials with us. So one of the it actually got to probably the second to last week that I was on the ship, and we were talking about equipment and other things, and that's when I really focused on this one other nurse. Um, and I was asking her a bit more about the equipment they had in their department. And until that point, I had I had been off the ship. I had seen the country and the poverty, but I hadn't even thought about what a sterilization department was like in a local hospital, um, which is kind of baffling, but it, I guess it goes to show how you're kind of living in a little bit of a bubble in the sense that you're not completely exposed to everything. Um, right. So I asked her, I was asking her about the equipment they use, and she was just nodding and answering, yes, yes, we have that. And I thought, oh, something's fishy here. Maybe I should have a look for myself just to be sure that what I'm focusing on is something that's relevant to her. So I asked her, I I arranged a time to come, and she was an OR nurse, and I arranged a time to come um, so she could show me the OR in the sterilizing room. And uh, a, a fellow or a friend of mine from the ship who was also a nurse, came with me, and we went to tour the the hospital, or just the, we had the whole hospital tour, um, and the last thing that we saw was the OR in the sterilizing room. Um, and are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> what do you want to hear about? Okay. So n- nothing really shocked me up until going into the OR. Um, I guess still in my mind I thought, they must have equipment and they must have supplies and brushes and gloves and whatnot. So we we walked through the wards and they were in they were in rough shape, but it wasn't really my area of expertise and I didn't how many, know. How many patients do you think that that hospital had? Um, they weren't the the largest trauma center in Freetown is called Connaught Hospital, and so they take majority of patients. Um, I don't know how many beds I could estimate, maybe a hundred. Yeah. 100 okay. beds from this hospital. So they're they're the only women's and children's hospital that I know of in um in Freetown. And did, why did they separate I, them? They had they only had two two operating theaters and one uh, maternity 
OR. Okay. So they had okay. three in total, but two were used for general and one was used for um, for delivering babies. Um, so they, she she brought me into or uh, my friend and I into this room, into the OR. They unfortunately we didn't bring hats and um, gloves and shoe covers, but we did have isolation gowns with us. So we put those on. They didn't ask us to put on anything else. And they were doing procedures in both of the ORs at the time on each side. And the sterilizing room, um, I know you had had one picture, but I actually have two of the hospital that I worked at I, here in Calgary at Foothills Hospital, and it is gorgeous. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's I put stainless one of, one steel of those appliances. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah um, every brush in the world you could possibly use, every tool, equipment, anything, and that's what I was used to, having a right. state-of-the-art facility where there's no excuse to not clean something properly because you have absolutely everything you need and the training you need. Um, so there, I walked into this small room, it was open, and there were no doors on the operating theaters, so they were it was kind of oh. just like a, a large, long room and a little bit of a divider between the doors, but they were open. And there was a gate, and then there was just a, one table with a plastic bucket and some chlorine tablets and water. And so I, I walked into the room, not realizing that that was the sterilizing room. Oh, my gosh. It said, um, it was asking some questions, and because I I felt like it was obvious, but I needed to ask the questions to just actually get their response and not just assume that this is all it was. So I asked them if they had gloves, and they said no, and brushes, no, and um, clean water, no. So they were getting water from the well, but they were uh, there was a shortage of water, so they were only changing the water once a week. And oh they God. had two sterilizers. Um, they were older drum-style autoclaves, but they weren't working at the time, and they didn't have the pieces. They actually knew how to fix them, but they didn't have the pieces they needed to fix them. So they weren't sterilizing the instruments. They were placing them in the bucket between patients, and then they would sit on a counter, uh, open counter, so they weren't wrapped or covered. Yeah, there's also a picture. Um, And I was just in a state of disbelief, really. It didn't actually sink (laughs) in until I got back to the ship, and I thought, wait, no. That wasn't that wasn't the sterilizing room. Was that the sterilizing room? And debriefed with my friend a little bit because she, I just couldn't say anything, and she just kept saying, "What, what do you think? Is this like bad?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just um, looking, at, and they allowed me to take pictures. Um, thankfully, because I've used those pictures to show other people what I what what I mean, like what what it's like um, that first of, exposure of to another a hospital there. Yeah. And it's so um, unbelievable that they would think that that is sanitary. Well, they, yeah, they, they. From what I've been able, or from, I've looked into it, and they don't have any sterilization, or they didn't um, sterilization education offered, or really a focus on microbiology and infection prevention. They, and they couldn't actually tell me what exactly they learned in the nursing school. But then again, I, I don't know where these nurses went to school that I was asking the questions because I know what they about do have. What the OR doctors? Programs. They would have known. They they, they should have, have but you'd be surprised <laughs> to know how. Yeah, And I, you know, it's even uh, the same situation that we come across here sometimes is that everyone is relying on each other. Because um, right. we should be working as a team, so everyone's relying on someone else to do their job properly in order to do theirs properly, and so our surgeons here rely on our MDRTs to make sure those instruments are clean and sterile, and they rely, rely on the nurses to make sure they check the indicators that they've passed before they use the instruments. But if the instrument is not clean, it could still be sterilized, and it can mm-hmm. still make its way up to the OR. Um, and they may never know. They, it may be such a small piece of debris that they don't even see it um, because yeah. that's something that the, the medical device reprocessing technicians are responsible for looking at those instruments with magnifying glasses to get out I was gonna to ask get those you pieces of bone or tissue out. Or something. Yeah, yeah, it's all, um, wow. it's all manual so do, in, in do terms they, of inspection. Do they, do they even wash their hands? Was that part of their routine? No. 
No, they didn't no. have soap in the hospital. Oh, they didn't have water. That's right. They had no water. They but, had some water, but they didn't have soap. Um, and they really didn't have anything. They didn't. Uh, they actually they had a storage room of of supplies, but the problem I've come across in many of the hospitals I work at over there is there's a lot of supplies that's donated and equipment that's donated, but you need to spend the time with them to follow through, to teach them how to use it, when to use it, and how to discard it, and how to take care of it, and everything else, and actually invest the time. Um, because giving them items that they've never used before and assuming that they know how to use them and when to use right. them is a huge mistake because <laughs> the items yeah. just sit there and equipment sits in the halls and they, they really need um, they need the education and the training as well as the items. And that's understandable. So let's talk about yeah. the challenges of working in, in a developing country like that. What was the language? Were they French? Uh, majority of the countries I worked in, uh, Sierra Leone um, speaks a language called Creole, and it's kind of like uh-huh. a p- pidgin English. But the okay. uh, majority of the people I met in Sierra Leone and the, and the ones I worked with in the hospitals uh, do speak speak English, which is okay. which is wonderful <laughs> for me. Yeah. And uh, every other country I worked in, Guinea and Congo and Madagascar, they speak. Um, they speak French in Guinea and Congo, and they speak Malagasy or Fr- or French in uh, Madagascar. So I I have a translator with me at all times okay. when I'm working in the hospitals. Okay. So yeah. after that first tour, um, I think that you turned to a doctor and and asked about survival rates and infection rate. Yes, I did. Yeah. So after leaving the OR and um, uh, we walked through the post-operative uh, area or kind of the clinic that they had, and there was one doctor amidst, uh, I don't know, probably 50 to 75 patients sitting there, and he was just in over his head um, with with the amount of people coming to him with infection. And I, I told him why I was, I said, I just came to see the sterilizing room, and this is what I specialize in. And is it really, <laughs> I can't imagine what the infection rates are like. And, and he, this is, so from my conversation with him, I asked him if they had patient records for pre- or post-op infections. Um, and he said, no, 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 they don't have any records of the patients, so some they don't see afterwards. And he, in his words, he said, from the amount of patients they see back is probably 90% of the ones that had operations there. Um, and a lot of the patients won't make it out of the hospital. And for their conversation. Yeah, yeah. And you almost, yeah. And it, it didn't surprise me. It was hard to hear, but it didn't surprise me when you no? looked at the conditions of the instruments um, and it, and the setting. I mean, the windows were open. There was, they hadn't been cleaned. You can see a picture of the uh, yeah. anesthesia mask that you had and so they're using oh that from God. patient to patient without that was, that, I cringed when I saw that yeah. I just cringed when I saw that yeah. and and that you had gone to a hospital room or sterilization room and cleaned that hadn't been cleaned in 20 years like 20 yeah, that years was in 20 years we wow. scrubbed it for three days <laughs> three days oh from, from sealing the floor um, at two I hospitals in Guinea you're not, you're not afraid to roll up your sleeves and get in there that's great. No, what makes me most uncomfortable is just how hot it is. So you're constantly wiping out sweat <laughs> from yeah, your eyes, yeah. and you get frustrated because yeah. you just want to keep cleaning. And if it was a little bit cooler, it wouldn't bother you. Wouldn't get drained so quickly because you're just sweating everything out. Yeah. How incredible to 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 wash a room for three days. Three days. Yeah. Well, there was a team. It wasn't just me by myself. I. I um, brought willing volunteers <laughs> with well, that's me what I mean. from That's even worse. You've got volunteers <laughs> in the street. <laughs> yeah, actually, each country I've been to, I've brought um, willing volunteers. And I don't think they know entirely what they're getting themselves into <laughs> before they come and after they don't come back. <laughs> but, yeah. um, no, it has, it's, right. I couldn't do it by myself. No, no. Wow, that's pretty incredible, though. You know, the state of that equipment, the, the, the filth in the room, um, I mean, you're talking third world, and it is so yeah. different from anything that we know about. And tell tell uh, the listeners the um, the infection rate after surgery in your hospital in Calgary. At the time when I looked into it, it was point zero three percent. 
Right, and so, I'm sure it's about the same today. Yeah, I'm sure it's, so it's it's very low. It's very low, yeah. um, and it should be. It shouldn't. There shouldn't even be any. But there's uh, there's always um, factors that we can't help. There's things that we can't that we. Of course. It's not always the instruments. It could be the pre and post op care. It could be anything else. Sometimes we can't track, um, but usually you can. You have it's a good indication if it comes from the instruments, if the infection's in the bone or in the muscle or the tissue, because the instrument is what goes into the body. It's the closest to you. Um, so, if, yeah, depending where the infection is, sometimes it can be pinpointed. And if you know that instruments are dirty, then I would almost guarantee it's from them. What about um, were they able to do any contraindication stuff like with antibiotics before surgeries? Did they think about doing anything like that? To help with infection? That's not really my area of expertise, but I think from what I've heard, they take a lot of antibiotics after the surgery to try to kill any uh, bacterial growth, although that also has um, a downside because if you take too many antibiotics, then your body becomes resistant to them and can't fight off other infections. I'm sure that they're pretty good at fighting stuff off living there. They probably well, have a lot of, yeah, you know, I, and true. I say that yeah. in, in, with the most respect, but, you yeah. know, when you're used to living oh, yeah, around definitely. dirt. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, my stomach is just so weak, but they, they can handle, <laughs> they could eat anything. It is right. impressive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but, you know, they grow, you grow up what you're used to, so I'm sure yeah, that they have exactly. some fighting genes. So you left that day thinking... Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! Thinking, what do I do? <laughs> I had no That's idea what to idea. do. Actually, um, I went back to the ship because I I went for this tour in the morning and I was working on the ship in the afternoon. So I went back and talked to Jane and uh, another girl that had come on board during that time, and she was from the states. And I was talking to both of them, showing them pictures. Uh, and, and saying there's so much we could do why aren't we you know there's so many drapes there's other things we're not using on the ship that we could bring over there and you know put barriers between the or the sterilizing area and the ORs and move the instruments and cover the instruments and get them to change their water and why don't we give them some gloves and other things and um Johanna was the other girl she actually said why don't you start an NGO and i said oh yeah that's a great idea and then I uh, followed up with, uh, what's an NGO? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and because uh, I had heard it, of course, but I just actually hadn't questioned what NGO stood for. So for anyone that's listening that doesn't know, it's a, <laughs> yeah, I was young, uh, non-governmental organization. And um, we looked into it. I did some investigation. So on my lunch break from the department, I went and called my parents the same day. And I said, okay, this is what happened this i i need to do something about it i can't just sit here because it's it was so easy in my mind it was so clear and you you can't just sit around when all you have to do is help them clean the department give them some edu- some knowledge because i right. realized that they no one had told them before and if someone had told them and given them some something to read um yeah the education around what they were doing um that they would probably make changes on their own cuz why why wouldn't you in my mind why wouldn't you and right. so right but you still have the equipment I, problem yeah yeah so i went to uh i called my parents and i told them what i wanted to do and they said yes that's a great idea let's do it <laughs> so we actually the idea and the support came very quickly um, the same day, and everything else has taken a little bit longer to get established, and we've definitely hit a few bumps because we're learning. Um, when I when I came home after Sierra Leone, and um, we researched other organizations that were already doing this type of thing, that I could work with them and just focus on providing education and mentoring and training in the hospitals to help them change or, or see what the need was. Um, right. and help fix the need or work with them on it. And we couldn't find any other organizations in the world, and we contacted we wow. contacted a number of well-known organizations, and they were, they're focusing on uh, nurse, training nurses, training doctors and surgeons and anesthetists and lab techs and x-ray and everywhere else, but no one that we could find or that we spoke to knew about an organization that was fo- focused on helping to provide sterile instruments um so that's where we decided to proceed and 
register <laughs> the the organization um and have just been learning a lot since well okay so let's go back to we'll call it the pressure cooker so you yeah. you have you you guys you know you go back to the ship and you're thinking okay so there has to be some way that we can sterilize things and kind of level the playing field for these mm -hmm. folks because you know, there's no parts. They don't have electricity. Maybe they don't have this, or they don't have that. Mm -hmm. So, what could yeah. we use to mm -hmm. that's inexpensive and will do the job? So, how mm -hmm. did that come about? Uh, it came up in a discussion with a friend um, and fellow volunteer on board. He was a his name is Sean Reynolds, and he's a anesthetist or was a anesthetist volunteering with Mercy Ships. So, I had. I had um, so many people approach me with amazing ideas and just so supportive and encouraged or trying encourage me encouraging <laughs> me um, mm -hmm. with uh, ideas and ways that I could you know show um, kind of quantitative measurement ideas of okay this was the infection rate now or this was the the amount of microbial growth and how to reduce that and how to show it because that's really what people want to see to get involved and right. that's not my area <laughs> so I had a lot of people with, uh, come up with great ideas and Sean was one of them and he said um, I was telling him you know the frustration is they they actually I can give them the knowledge but then they don't have the equipment and they're not able to sterilize their instruments even with the knowledge so how do I get them something and even if we give them a sterilizer they don't have the resources to support it so they don't have a water filtration system their electricity isn't reliable and will cut in and out and that will cause the, the autoclave to short um, so what he suggested from everything I had, I had talked to him about was just to go back to the very basics that we used in the 1800s before um, is just to give them a pressure cooker to use and to sterilize the instruments with that. And he said, we know that it gets up to temperature and it can hold the temperature. And why don't you go with that? And I said, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't want to bring them backwards, bring them way uh -huh. back to, you know, the 18th century. I want them to move forwards. I want to come up with something new and invented, uh, like new and kind of like the solar-powered sterilizer, although that wasn't, it wasn't really ideal in hospital settings just because. Right. Um, there's long periods of rainy season as well. So I had said no, and I was still brainstorming it. And that discussion happened when I was first in Guinea. And by the time I returned, I'd gone home and came back. He had already ordered a pressure cooker. <laughs> so he was keeping in his cabin, and he said, here, take this, go, just test it out, see if it works. Um, and we took the pressure cooker up to the the galley um, on the ship, and we tested it on one of their industrial ovens and we put our chemical indicators and our uh, BI inside and everything passed which was really exciting for us because we just weren't too sure um, so I went with it and I taught at a clinic an orthopedic clinic in Guinea um, I wanted to test it somewhere s smaller and mm -hmm. we th they purchased a um, a burner a gas burner um, and then they had the pressure cooker on top of it and it was just to sterilize their tenotomy scissors for doing um for cutting tenotomies for club feet procedures and mm -hmm. so that was a great trial we had some classes i taught them how to use it and take care of it and then i realized this could actually work um so the next the next point oh, of discussion was yeah. wait before you, did you have any ind indicators of their infection rates from surgery no, they before? weren't doing, um, they were just renovating their clinic at the time. So okay. they weren't doing, and and to be honest, every hospital I've worked in has not kept any patient records. So it makes right. it really challenging working um, in these types of settings with uh, how do you get them to start keeping patient records among everything else um, right. that I'm focusing on this area, but it would be great. <laughs> Or, and I'm, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if there's an organization out there that works with hospitals to help create an, an administration kind of area. But it's it's a it's a daunting task. I don't well, know. Well, it is because they, you know, they can't deploy a an enterprise and system. Right? No, and there's <laughs> many villages, and it's yeah, patients can travel for days, and it's really difficult to right. keep track if they don't have an address, or a phone number, or email even. So. Um, yeah, oh, that's when you another. 
I wanted to ask you about the when you said it was the the hospital for women and children. Do they segregate mm-hmm. women and children from men in hospitals, or was this just pri- like a because it was like a birthing hospital? Yes. Yeah. No, they don't segregate. They have um, okay. uh, general hospitals and private hospitals, just like we do. And then this was just okay. particularly special um, for women and children. Okay. So the yeah. so it worked. The pressure cooker worked. It worked. Yay. Yes. And then, yay. <laughs> yay. And uh, so after. After I decided to go with the pressure cooker, um, it was to create a basket or a stringer inside of the pressure cooker that will suspend the instruments. Because unlike our the autoclaves we use in the hospital, the pressure cooker doesn't have a drying cycle. Um, mm-hmm. It just the steam creates, the steam goes out, but the water will remain on the bottom. Um, right. And so cooler air will come in if you turn the heat off, and they will dry, but. I did. I wanted to prevent them from lying flat because lying flat, they will. It'll take longer to dry, and more moisture will collect between the instruments. So we right. thought of, yeah. Anyway, we um we worked with a. I'm saying we as me and the organization <laughs> and the board. We worked right. with a uh, engineer in Texas in Lindale, Texas, who volunteered and created this instrument basket. That's our first are kind of a trial basket. Um and we with that idea, with the basket and the pressure cooker, um, we had applied for a grant through Grand Challenges Canada. Uh for it was an innovative idea uh grant for a hundred thousand dollars. And unfortunately we we met all of the qualifications or the criteria of the grant, but we're too new of an organization to actually receive it ourselves because we don't have mm-hmm. uh much financial statements yet. So Mercy Ships Canada actually applied for the grant and received it, and they were able to allocate those the the grant funds to SPECT to carry out the work. Um, And it's been phenomenal because we my dad heads back to Madagascar this Sunday uh, in a few days, and he'll be Mm -hmm. there. We've already ordered, um, I think, 20 or 31 pressure cookers, and we are getting the baskets manufactured locally. Uh, in Madagascar, and then yeah, 11 or sorry, 19 of those baskets are going out to rural areas to clinics. So I'm doing holding uh, training sessions for doctors to take them out to use in their clinics, and then 11 hospitals in the capital and Tana will also receive the pressure cookers. Um, if in case they don't have an autoclave, and if they're auto, if they do have one, but the power goes out, then they have a way of sterilizing items in an emergency situation. So, what's your dad's role? What does he do for for the company? He kind of <laughs> all of our roles mesh a little bit. Sure, <laughs> um, because we're just trying to get Bodyguard. everything done. So, <laughs> yeah, I would say he has probably a lot of different titles. Um, mm-hmm. He's been doing administration and program coordination, um, and then he's kind of taken over the instrument basket. That's um, been his, one of his main projects. Is There's so many logistics that go into it and uh, getting all the parts and pieces over there because they actually don't have stainless steel in the country, in Madagascar. So we've oh had to order gosh. all those pieces, have them made here, making sure that they're the right size, then bringing them over, and then finding welders. Um, to put them together, and why do you want them no, to put it together over there? Just because well, it, it helps them, because or? they're quite large. Um, okay. So it's yeah, it would be, we haven't completely figured out how to ship items over. So everything that we take is unless we can. Well, we we hope to buy what we need or as much as possible over in the countries, but everything right. else we take over with us in in hockey bags. <laughs> what about? Uh, yeah, what about the exchange and and like what is their their money like compared to Canadian dollar? Like, is it oh are you saving? Remember. It's like one. Money? Um, no, Madagascar. Well, it depends on the country. Um, right. Congo, uh, the Congo Brazzaville, I found quite expensive. We because I was working in the port city, um, so th- it was actually more expensive than you would find for food and and drinks and accommodation was more expensive over there than it was in than it is in Canada. Um, oh, okay. In Madagascar, it's equivalent to um, the other countries I've been to. You'd pay for a local Malagasy meal. You'd probably pay two dollars. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, How $2 is the food? for a meal. Are you enjoying the food when um, you're there? I love African food. <laughs> oh, I love great. rice and beans and chicken. But don't ask me to eat porcupine or boa or bush rat. Yeah. <laughs> what are their main yeah. spices? What 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 like if you were to say African spice, what would you what would you come up with? Oh, you know they don't um uh, like a uh, spicy sauce. So they have like a peanut sauce or a cassava leaf sauce. And I don't know a lot. Well, Madagascar um, has been a huge a treat, actually, because they have cumin and cinnamon, just mm-hmm. tons and tons of cinnamon and um, pepper. You can get, like, little red and white pepper. And, of course, vanilla. They have right. vanilla. Oh, yeah. it's so fragrant, and it's amazing. But um, it doesn't travel well, I've learned. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. So, yeah. Um, oh, I want so to- Madagascar has been quite a treat. Sorry, I want to. We only got five minutes, so I want to. I wanted oh. to be able to ask you this. Um, you work in in Sierra Leone, and you also work in 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 Guinea. And those two countries were hit with Ebola last year. Uh, did it affect your work? Were you there? How scary was Unfor- it? Yeah, I unfortunately, um, I haven't been able to get back to those countries since Ebola broke out. Sierra Leone, mm-hmm. I haven't um, been back to since 2012. So okay. Uh, we are. We do have plans to return, but we started focusing more on Guinea and Congo, and that's initially where we were going to carry out the pressure cooker project. Um, and then we've had to change the proposal because of the Ebola outbreak. So our intentions right. were to get back to Guinea, um, but I felt like I might be more. <laughs> I might be. Uh, causing more stress on people than necessary by going over there right now. Sure. Um, and the hospitals are a little bit of a hot zone, and that's where I would be based out of a hospital. So I haven't been back to Guinea, and it did affect our work because we were planning to go back there, and I, I can only imagine how many other organizations were also planning to go back to Guinea. It's funny how quiet because of the Ebola. news is about them. You know, you don't yeah. hear a lot, but there has to be... Mm-hmm. Still, key, active cases and and oh yeah, you know, so oh many, yeah. I don't yeah. think that I think actually I can't quote because I can't remember. Um, sure. For my knowledge, I I I think there's I can't remember if there's still cases, but I think one of the countries is Ebola free. Um, oh good. And I can't remember which one, but obviously there's the aftermath um, of of the whole virus and uh, rebuilding the country Mm -hmm. basically of like that sense of not being feared of going into the hospital again because a lot there was a lot of skepticism or um of of actually contracting a bullet in the hospitals and i think people have looked past that now and realize where it stemmed from um but unfortunately where did it stem from i i think eating either i think eating bats actually in oh really in rural Sierra Leone and then it traveled across the border to Guinea and again I'm wow I'm I had no not idea. entirely yeah because we had heard about it um when we were when the ship was in Guinea in 2012 we had heard the rumor that Ebola was in rural areas and you know I think it actually is Ebola is common in rural areas but the problem is the concern is when it hits the urban, the cities, is that it's mm-hmm. how it has it traveled, and then with that larger population, it just spreads like wildfire. Um, wow. So it's usually if it starts in a rural area from eating bats or monkeys, or I'm not entirely sure um, where yeah. where it initially started from, but it, it will die out quicker in the rural areas if they're not leaving their their communities or their villages. But if they leave and it travels to the cities, and that's where the real problem starts, and that's how it spreads so quickly through um, through those wow. West African countries. Christina, yeah. we've got about a minute and a little bit left, and I want, first I want to thank you so much for being my guest, and oh, you know, thank you everybody who's been listening. Uh, tell us how to get. Um, to your website if people are interested in donating, if they're interested mm-hmm. in volunteering, if they're interested in, in yeah. sending 
pressure cookers to you. I don't know what you need and want. So uh, let them oh, know. Oh, yeah, we need, okay, we need everything. <laughs> um, we have the pressure cookers, and we've been able to purchase them in country, but we're accepting donations for the pressure cookers and for supplies and then to support our volunteers in going over um, and carrying out. And we provide education, so I've created a course that we teach over there, and it's modified to each hospital. Um, but we just, I really value and uh, spending time with them and learning more about the hospitals and their needs and investing in them and investing in the relationships and I think that's how you how you develop a sustainable system is and make changes right, um, right. is actually to follow up with them to make sure that you can help them and focus on the needs. So our website is www.spect R-U-S-T dot com, or sorry, dot org. So spectrust dot org. Thank you, Christina. We are now out of time. Thanks again for for the callers, (laughs) and and, and thank you for doing all the wonderful work that you're doing to change the world. You're an amazing young woman. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Thanks so much, Frankie. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us. This has been the Good Radio Network with the Princess of Positivity, Frankie Picasso. Are you ready to walk the talk, turn talk into doing? Then get out there and do a world of good. You've got the power.